This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, I'm excited to be a part of this series called Armor, because in these crazy times in which we live, we all need to be equipped for how to navigate life. And so this morning, we're going to look at just one simple verse, and we're going to look at one piece of armor. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Ephesians 6, or you can follow along up here on the screen. But you read up here in verse uh, 16 of Ephesians 6, where Paul says, in addition to all this, so some of the armor he's already talked about, he said, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So one of the pieces of armor that Paul encourages us to arm ourselves with is the shield of faith. Now, I'm not sure what image just came to your mind, but before we get into the meaning of the verse, I want to help you actually get an accurate picture of the painting that Paul is trying to paint for us in this verse. At least when I hear the word shield, my mind goes immediately to old movies like Spartacus or something where there's a guy who has a sword in one hand a shield in the other to deflect the blows of the sword of the guy that he's fighting. That's not the word that's used here. The word used here is thurion. It's not a a shield that you would hold with one arm on your forearm. It's rather a big plank, about four feet high, two and a half feet wide, very heavy, often covered with either leather or metal, But it was a shield by which a soldier could crouch behind it and they would find total protection. No part of them would be exposed. And Paul said, so I want you, when you hear the word shield, to think of this big plank. And then it's the shield of faith. And we're going to unpack what that means. But it's the the word pistuo and it basically means belief or trust. So in October of 2021... In a world that is coming increasingly unraveled, what does it mean to take up your shield of faith? What does it look like on a Tuesday? What does it look like when you're interacting with people on the job? What does it look like when you face one of life's unexpected curveballs? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this concept, I got to be honest, there's a bit of a tension in me because I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. In fact, I've been a Christ follower for half a century, 50 years. It feels kind of surreal to even say that. But I also got to be honest to tell you that sometimes I have doubts and big questions for God and confusion about what he's up to. And I like having my life in order and being in control. My wife would tell you I have control issues. I like to think of it as I like to have a plan, but um, she would say I have control issues and I don't like it when I don't have control. And when I don't have control, I can become anxious and maybe some of you are the same way. Makes me think of a, a story that happens in Mark chapter 9 where there is a story of a distraught father and his son is possessed by an evil spirit and this evil spirit has so oppressed this young boy that he can't even talk. And sometimes the evil spirit would throw the boy on the ground and he would violently convulse. And so this distraught father comes to Jesus and he says, I asked your disciples to cast out this evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So would you have mercy on us? And then he uses these words, help us 
if you can. And Jesus quickly responds, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And then this father, out of the depth of his anguish, utters these words. I believe, I want to believe, I'm trying to believe, but help me in my unbelief. I feel that tension. When I face circumstances and situations in life where, hey, I love God, I want to believe, I want to trust him, but then there are also pieces of me that go, I doubt. And sometimes I don't believe, and sometimes my fear takes over, and I want to over. Come And in a moment like we're living in right now, where it seems like things are coming apart at the seams, our humanity is racked with fear and doubt and a lot of uncertainty, and it collides with our faith, with what we say we believe, with the hope and the promise that we have in God, that he is good and in control, and there is this dueling tension in our souls. We come into a place like this on a Sunday morning, and we sing songs of worship, and we declare our trust in God, and then we walk out, and as we face the week, there's this pit in our stomach about what we're about to walk into, and our bold declaration of trust can be followed very quickly by paralyzing anxiety. So here's the question I want us all to wrestle with this morning. How do you grow your faith to trust in God no matter what life throws at you? That's what I think it means to pick up the shield of faith. How do you equip yourself with the shield of faith? So I want to give you three really simple, not easy, but simple challenges right out of this passage. So here's number one. Just recognize, number one, that this shield of faith that you have been given is an amazing gift. And I want to spend some time unpacking that. But here, here's the deal. You, didn't, you don't have to create it. You don't have to manufacture it. You don't have to fashion it. You don't have to get in a workshop and, and create it. It is a gift that God has given to you. And so you've been given this gift And now God says, I want you to pick it up because you're going to need it in the battle of life, especially in October of 2021. You better know what it looks like to pick up the shield of faith. Now, this word faith has two different nuances, and both of them come into play in this passage. So the first one is that faith is an objective faith. It's a noun. It's the doctrine that we believe. It's the belief system by which you are ordering your life. Sometimes we'll talk about that we belong to the Christian faith. There's a certain set of beliefs and a belief system that defines who we are. In the little book at the very end of the Old Te- or at the end of the New Testament, Jude, Jude calls on these first century believers to defend the faith, the noun that God has entrusted to his people once for all time. It's the doctrine that you hold. And we all hold a doctrinal position, a theological view about life, about the word of God, about what God is like, how he works in the world. Sometimes we'll use a phrase about having a Christian worldview. That's what we're talking about here. And again, we have a reasonable faith. We have a a faith where you don't have to check your brains at the door in order to believe in Christianity. And in a day when our Christian values and philosophies are being more challenged than ever, we better have convictions, not just opinions, right? Convictions about 
We know what we know, what we know that we believe, and we're standing on that no matter what the culture tells us. Now, the faith that you and I hold is really rooted in two realities. Number one, it's rooted in the character of God. One of the foundational convictions of our belief system is that God exists and that he has a certain kind of character. And we read about his character in scripture that he is sovereign, he is in control, that God is righteous, that he is trustworthy, that he is perfect, that he never changes, that he is loving, and that he is good. And so this faith that we hold on to called Christianity is rooted first in that God exists and he has undeniable character. And some people, though, because of their pain, because of the circumstances in the world, have decided to give God a makeover. They can't reconcile the the pain in their world and the pain they're experiencing with the God of the Bible. And so they give God a makeover. A great case study in this is Rabbi Harold Kushner, um, whose son had a very rare disease called progeria. His son eventually died of the disease. And Kushner wrote a very popular book many years ago called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And it was the journey of him as a Jewish rabbi trying to reconcile his faith with a world that seemed out of control. And so, in fact, Kushner's conclusion is even God has a hard time keeping chaos in check. And he writes, God is a God of justice but not of power. And millions of readers found some comfort in Kushner's portrayal of a God who seems compassionate, even though weak and not in control. Elie Weissel, who is a survivor of the Holocaust and a Jew, said of the God described by Kushner, if that's who God is, why doesn't he resign and let someone more competent take his place? (laughs) See, this is about your worldview. And about your understanding of God and faith. And I don't know about you, but there isn't much comfort for me in a God who is nice but powerless, kind but impotent. Nor does that view really reflect the view of the Bible. The very essence of what it means to be God is that he has absolute power and control and sovereignty. So the place to start is to go back to what we know to be true. And it's important for you to have your own faith and belief system that you have wrestled with and worked through and that you come to this unshakable reality that God is sovereign and that he is good and that he is flawless. And so when we talk about holding up the shield of faith of what we believe, it's grounded in the character of God, but it's also rooted in the word of God. You see, at the heart of this question and at the heart of holding up the, the, the shield of faith is this question, can I really trust or have faith that God's word is true? Or do I sort of pick and choose based on what the culture tells me? Do I actually really believe the word of God is inspired and that it is without error? So if you and I could sit down and have a conversation over a cup of coffee and we might talk about navigating life in this century and One of the things that I would point you to based on my 50 years of following Jesus is if you're going to hold up the shield of faith and do battle successfully in this culture, you've got to become a serious student of God's word. That's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. 
For you to become a student of God's word, to dig into it, to learn it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to let it inform your decisions, to spend time investing in it. Years ago, I heard a a guy, Leonard Sweet, and he was talking about his mom and she was approaching 90 and she had become quite frail and mentally was beginning to slip and one day he noticed after she had kind of an episode that he just needed to do something. He said, Mom, I'm taking you to the doctor. She said, I'm not going. He said, oh, yes, you are. And she said, I'm not going. He said, I'm not asking. I'm taking you. And he picked up his 90-pound mother in his arms and he begins to take her to the car. And when he does, he walks by the coffee table sitting in the front entryway of his house and on the coffee table was her purse and her Bible. She didn't grab for her purse. She grabbed for her Bible. And so he takes her to the doctor and um, the doctor sits down with her and very gently says, you know, um, can you tell me the name of the president? And she couldn't think of who the president was. And he said, can you tell me what today, what today's date or day of the week it is? And she couldn't remember. And finally the doctor pointed over at Leonard and said, do you know his name? And in that moment, she couldn't recall her son's name. So the doctor turned to Leonard and he said, Hey, I, I want to keep your mom. I want to do some tests. I want to observe her for a little bit. And Leonard said, Well, I'm, I'm supposed to speak out of town this evening. But he goes, I can cancel my speaking engagement. And the doctor said, That's not necessary. We'll, we'll, we're going to take good care of your mom. He said, In fact, I'm going to let you have the nurse's direct number because the nurse is going to take care of your mom. Her name is Joy and I'll give you her number. And so Leonard turns to his mom and says, Mom, I'm going to be gone for a little bit, but this lady Joy is going to take care of you. And Mom, you remember what you always taught us when we were kids. And he started to quote a Bible verse. He said, the joy, and then his mom just filled in the blanks. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'll never forget what Leonard said. When my mom couldn't remember the president or the day of the week or my name, Her life had been so marinated in the word of God that that's what came out. So my challenge to you is marinate yourself in the word of God. Spend time every day. Read it. Learn it. That's the objective body of faith that we are holding on to in our generation. But there's not just the objective side, but there's also the subjective side. There's the subjective side that is really about personal trust. This is a verb. And again, I want to be really honest with you for a few moments. It's pretty easy to take up your shield of faith and to sing songs about trusting God as long as life is sunny and everything is up and to the right and you've got a job and the kids are good and your health is working fine. It's pretty easy to trust God when everything is good. But what about when all hell breaks loose in your life and your predictable, orderly life comes unraveled? As I've been preparing for this message, looming in the background is an experience we've been walking through for the last three months. On June the 30th, we got a call from a pastor friend of mine in, uh, in Colorado. His first church job, we hired him to be our college pastor and work with our small groups. And I performed a wedding ceremony for he and his wife. We've been in their life for 25 years. They'd been at the lake on a houseboat and their 
three daughters had invited four friends. And so the seven girls were riding in an SUV in front of the parents on the way home. And in order to swerve to miss a car, the young lady driving the SUV overcorrected and the car just rolled multiple times and landed on its roof and terrible, horrible accident. One of the girls that was severely injured just got out of the hospital. She's been in there 80-something days. And my friends rushed over to the scene and their 21-year-old college-age daughter was crushed underneath the car. Uh, It's been really hard as a friend to walk with them through that, but I can't even imagine the horror of what they're going through. At one moment, change their entire life. And in some ways, their life will now be defined by that moment, right? This horrible tragedy, devastating loss. And most of us will never walk through anything like that. But it does raise an important question. Can you pick up the shield of faith and trust God even when life comes apart? I always think about Job because he's a case study when it comes to this, right? I mean, one day... Job comes in front of God and God points out Job and says, hey, gosh, he's, he's the most righteous man on all the earth. And Satan says, well, of course he is. He's got it made. But take all the stuff away from him and he'll curse you. And God says, you can do anything to him except take his life. Now, it's really important to remember when you read the book of Job that Job is completely unaware of the conversation that takes place in heaven. And the Bible says that in just the next day or so, he gets word that his entire business has been devastated. All of his livestock killed, all the camels, all of his animals gone. Not only that, but all of his servants have been killed in a raid. And then he gets the word that his 10 kids were all together and a freak windstorm caused the house to collapse on them and all of them died. And then Job is covered from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head with sores. And his wife comes and whispers in his ear, just curse God and die. Like there, there's nothing to live for anymore. Just end it. And somehow Job has this courage to just say, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And, and if you read those early chapters in Job, when he loses everything, for the next 35 chapters, there's this wrestling match and emotional roller coaster that Job is on. There are moments when his faith surges and he trusts God, and then there are moments when he's angry and demands an answer from God, and there are moments when he wishes he'd never been born. There are moments when his friends accuse him that the only thing, only things like this happen to people that God is judging and disciplining and 35 chapters, God doesn't say a word. Heaven is silent. And the silence is absolutely deafening. So what do you do when you don't understand and the silence is deafening? Well, Job picks up his shield of faith. And and I think the key verse, the pinnacle verse of the entire book of Job happens in the 13th chapter and the 15th verse. I want you to look at what Job says. Though he slay me, 
yet will I trust him. There is this moment of humble willingness to leave some questions unanswered and a quiet decision to trust and believe that God is good even when all the evidence says otherwise. And so we're called upon to stand on the objective faith of the word of God but also then to learn to walk out what it looks like to actually trust God in real life when it comes apart. So here's the second challenge I want to give you. And that is to use your God-given decider. So you remember the story of the prodigal son when the prodigal son comes to his dad and says, hey, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you die. And the only thing more amazing than his brash request is that his dad goes along with it and gives him his inheritance. And it says the kid leaves home free from the restrictions and the rules of home and his pockets are loaded with money and he's going to do anything he wants whenever he wants because now he can pay for it. So he goes off to a distant country, lives the party lifestyle. He runs out of money. The Bible says he squanders every dime he had. We don't know how it happened, how long it happened, but he goes through all of his money and then he is destitute and Then the Bible says, not only has he been foolish, but now a famine hits the land and he gets a job. And the only job he can find is feeding pigs. Now that wouldn't be appealing to most any of us, but especially if you're a Jew, this was the most despicable kind of job that you could have. And then to even go one rung lower in life, he's in the pen with the pigs and what the pigs are eating starts to look pretty good to him. And then come these words. These are the words of a moment of self-leadership when he uses his decider. And here are the words. It says, And when he came to himself. And when he came to himself. It's a moment where there's this lucid clarity around who he is and that his life doesn't have to be this way, that he can change it. And I just want to say to every one of us, God has given us a decider. And every day you wake up and you make choices about all kinds of things. What you're going to spend your money on, how your time is going to be used. You, you make decisions about who you're going to love and what you're going to value and what your priorities are going to be. And there are some things that are going to come into your life that you have absolutely no control over. My friends had no control over the accident that day. What they do have control over is how they choose to walk through that how they choose to respond in this situation where they have little control and will you pick up the shield of faith? But, but let's not airbrush this. We're not talking about something that's simple. I don't, I don't care how long you've walked with Jesus, how mature you are. Even the best of us can have our world rocked and our faith shaken. This thing that we went through with our friends, especially for my wife, It has rocked her. Brought questions that I didn't think she'd ever have. And you know one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is it doesn't airbrush human suffering. It doesn't airbrush the human struggle of people who walk through times of suffering. And there are lots of passages, just like Job's story, where people wrestle with God and life's inequities, and they have some gut-level, visceral questions and even accusations that get directed toward God. 
You know what else I love about Scripture? God's okay with the doubts. God's okay with the questions. I think of Psalm 77 where the psalmist cynically asks, Hey God, have you forgotten to be gracious? Have you slammed the door on your compassion? And then he sort of cynically concludes, This is my fate. The Most High has turned His hand against me. And so again, I don't know where you are today, what life is like for you in this moment, but maybe you're wrestling with some hard questions. Maybe you're hurting, looking for relief, healing, answers, and maybe like the psalmist, you find yourself with some anger and some cynicism, and I just want to say to you, it's okay. God can handle it. He's fine with you walking out those questions. But here's a little formula that's been helpful for me. Doubt plus surrender plus trust equals freedom. You know, as good as Christian books are and podcasts and your small group and coming to church, there are some times in life when it just has to be you and God. And you have to work through some stuff and what you really believe and can you walk with the shield of faith lifted high in the middle of your circumstances and there comes a moment when with all of your doubts you just surrender and say God I'm just choosing to lay this down and I'm choosing to trust you even though the circumstances don't make sense to me and there's no shortcut no easy formula but but I think that doubt can lead to a sort of humble surrender which leads to a a faith and trust that ultimately results in us being able to live in freedom. But I get to choose. I get to use my decider for what comes into my life. All right, here's the final thing. We we can study Ephesians 6:16, we can do a word study on the Greek and we can analyze it and and dissect it, and we can study it. But at the end of the day, a shield is to be picked up and used. And so the third challenge is for you to actually activate the shield of faith. And if you go back to Ephesians 6, I don't want you to miss the end of the verse because he says, we pick up the shield of faith so that we can extinguish the flaming arrows, these attacks that come at us from the evil one. Notice that The things that come into your life sometimes are not just random circumstances. They're actually attacks from the evil one, not from some generic, abstract, amorphous force, but from a real person who would love to destroy and kill you. I mean, John 10, Jesus speaking about Satan says he is a thief and that his purpose is to rob and kill and destroy. But but listen to me. We don't have to be afraid because the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We are overcomers. We have been given victory in Christ. Um, Did you know the Bible never tells you to run from Satan? Does tell you to run from temptation, to flee youthful lust. Doesn't ever tell you to run from Satan. The Bible says you just square off. You take your battle stance. And one of the things that will allow you to resist him in your life is when you hold up the shield of faith. All right, let me just give you this final word. Sometimes the only thing you have to hold on to is the hope and promise for a better future.
And sometimes that doesn't come until after death. The truth is, you may exit this life and never have it all understood, have it all buttoned up and explained. But trust says, I know that on the other side of this life, there is a future that God has for me that doesn't have pain, doesn't have sickness, doesn't have cancer, doesn't have loss. Paul says it like this, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. We fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So here's what I want you to see. Your faith, this shield of faith, lives in the gap between the already and the not yet. Between what you already are experiencing, what you're already going through, and the not yet promise of God that someday, all the pain, all the questions, all the fear, it'll be gone. Philip Yancey says, the Bible never belittles human disappointment, but it does add one key word, temporary. What we feel now, we will not always feel. Our disappointment is itself a sign, an aching, a hunger for something better. And faith is, in the end, a kind of homesickness, a home that we have visited, that we have never visited, but we have been promised. So here's my challenge. Just change one word. I want you to move from what-if thinking to even-if. So instead of what if this happens, what if I lose the job, what if my retirement crashes, that we go, hey, even if, I'm going to choose to trust God. Just that one word would change everything. All right, wrap it up with this. Luke 6, or John 6. The one miracle that Jesus did in all four Gospels, it's recorded in all four Gospels, is when he takes the fishes and loaves, and he feeds the multitudes. And the Bible says that it was a massive miracle. There were just 5,000 men not counting women and children there that day. You can imagine the buzz around the community about this, like free lunch. And everybody comes back tomorrow, and Jesus says, hey, you're not here because you want to follow me. You're just here because I fed you yesterday. And then the Bible says he gave them a hard teaching, and he began to tell them that life was more than just food and drink, and that really what they needed to do was to make the choice to become his follower. And the Bible says that when all these people heard this, you know what they began to do? Just turn around and walk away. So imagine that scene. Hundreds, maybe thousands of them, just kind of turning and going, yeah, We're not interested. You know what Jesus does? He looks at his 12 disciples and he says, so uh, what about you guys? You going to leave too? And I love Peter's response. Here's what he says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And in the life of every Christ follower, there comes a moment when you have to put a stake in the ground and it is your declaration of trust and you say, even when life makes no sense, I'm going to hold up the shield of faith and choose to trust you. Where else would we go? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and be dismissed. My prayer for you is that you would carry these words throughout this week. 
Father, thank you for letting us be here today. Lord, I have no idea where people are individually in this journey, but I pray for those who are hurting, those who are confused, filled with fear, confusion, questions. I pray that today you would meet them and give them hope and comfort and your presence today. And may we walk this week and hold up the shield of faith in Jesus' name. Amen.